Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Well, if you brought a Bible today, open it up to two passages. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and then we're going to look at John 3.16. 1 Corinthians 13 and John 3.16 if you weren't here last Sunday, as Pastor Brandon just mentioned, we began what I'm calling a series of studies. A little bit different than the way we normally do. We'll do a study series, and it might run six, eight, maybe even ten lessons long if it's a big topic. But this time we're doing a series of studies. It's all one study. We're going to break it up into four chunks. Uh, and that allows for us to have some breaks and for people to be on vacation, etc. Um, But the whole thing is wrapped around three essential things that we need to know. And last week we introduced, we kind of set ourselves up for this first segment. And we talked about the fact that if you are reading your Bible or if you just want to open your Bible, you don't have to be a Bible scholar, you can turn to like Matthew chapter 24, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and 2 Timothy chapter 3, and you can pretty much just read almost in narrative form what you see happening in the world right now. And Jesus said, when you see these things happening, I mean, when you can just check the boxes and you're like, yep, 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 yep. And especially when you see them happening with intensity and you see them happening ongoingly like a conveyor belt, like there's not a lot of break in between. He said, here's what you know. It's like reading the weather report. When you look and you see the clouds are billowing and they're starting to get dark, you know, ah, it looks like rain. Maybe I should grab an umbrella. He said, when you start seeing these things happening, here's what you know for sure that the end is coming close. In fact, let me just kind of help some of you that are interested in end time studies. There's not anything in the Bible from the Old Testament to the New that has to be checked off and completed before Jesus comes back. There's still some stuff the Bible talks about. This is going to happen, and that's going to happen, but nothing has to happen before Jesus comes back. That means when we read passages like Matthew 24, and again, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and 2 Timothy chapter 3, we can read this as if, yeah, I mean, we're checking boxes like Jesus could come back before we get done with this service, or he could come back before tomorrow morning, or he could come back in another year, in another five years, ten years, we don't know. But what we do know is it's getting really, really close. In the 6,000 plus years that we can record through Bible history, we're down to the last few years here. And and that's not me speculating. That's not me just, you know, giving some uh, some warning that'll heighten your interest in spiritual things. That's me just reading the script. The other thing that Jesus said, and Paul intimates the same thing, is number one, when we start seeing these things happening, there's going to be a tendency for us to get real anxious. He said, whatever you do, don't be afraid. Well, that's easy to say, but how do you not be afraid? The next thing he said was, and don't be deceived, because when all these things are happening, there's going to be a lot of people trying to explain this and explain that. Well, here's what's going on, and some of them are going to be inside the church. He said, listen, don't be deceived. Come back to what the Bible said. And that's what we did last week. We walked through a number of things to come to the conclusion that there's a lot of things that are going to be happening in life that we don't know all the ins and outs. There's X factors and and it's twisting and changing and the plot thickens every single day. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow in the world and circumstance around us. But here's what we do know. We know what God said. And what God said settles it. 
And, and so we established that last week so that we could come this week and we could look at some things that God said, even if they feel contradictory to our own emotions or they seem contradictory to what's going on in the world around us, the Bible's going to tell us the reason you cannot be afraid even though the list is daunting and you're watching it unfold and sometimes it takes your breath away, the way that you cannot be afraid and the way that you can never be fooled or deceived is by sticking with what God said. I ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, and that's where we're going to start today because the Apostle Paul's writing, he's talking about life inside of the kingdom. How do you live these powerful aspects of being uh, being a Christ follower and having his Holy Spirit active in, in your life? But here's what he says. He says, three things will last forever. That's a true statement that just, you know, broadens itself past what he was instructing, particularly in that context, and kind of spans over everything that's ever gone on and everything that will all go on all the way to the end of time. So the world's shaking, the world's crazy, the, the, the future looks unpredictable, but not for the believer. For the believer, we have something that is completely predictable and unchangingly reliable, and that is these three things. And here's what these three things are. Everything else will twist and turn. These things will never falter. You can plant your feet. You can plant your life on these three things, and they will never, ever let you down. They will carry you through any circumstance or anything that's happening in the world all the way to the end of the world. It says these three will last forever. Here's what they are. Faith, hope, and love. So that's what the series of studies is going to be about. And some of you have been in church around, you're like, oh, we already know about that stuff. I promise you, you don't. I promise you, you don't. And even if you do, I promise you that these things the Bible speaks have to be sharpened and have to be refreshed and have to be refocused constantly because of the things that we're living through in the world and the messages that are constantly twisted and distorted and distracting. And we have to constantly come back and resharpen. And every time we do, whether it's first time information or, or, or brand new insight and revelation, our life has changed. And our life is refocused. He said, these three last forever, faith, hope, and love. But notice this, and the greatest of these is love. And that word greatest in the original language means the largest one, the oldest one, the one that was established first and foremost, the one that provides the foundation and underpins the other two is love. So faith is really important. And understanding what Bible hope means, I can't wait to teach that for some of you who've never heard it before because your eyes are just going to go, what? Because it's crazy wonderful. And it will radically change how you begin to form your perspectives and your paradigms for the future. But as great as faith is and as great as hope is, listen, what fundamentally underpins all of them and gives them that solid ground is understanding love. And that's why, even though it's listed last, when it said, but the greatest is, okay, we said, all right, then let's pull it to the front. And let's make sure we get this one down first so that the other two then will have something to build on and the other two will work. And let me tell you just practically why that's true. Because when you believe that God loves you, ah, let me rephrase, we'll see it in a minute. When you believe that God so loves you and you know that, I mean, really know it. I mean, like it's a conviction. Nobody can talk you out of it. It doesn't matter if you wake up in the morning and you don't feel that he loves you. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, but I know he does. I just don't feel it right now. But when you really know that God loves you, and let me expand, when you know how much he loves you, 
when you know to what extent that he has promised that he's willing to go to protect you, to provide for you, to lead you, to guide you, to restore your life, especially if you're his child, then listen to me, it creates this unshakable foundation that heaven and earth can be rocking on its, on its heels, can be getting ready to pass away, but nothing will come by you because you're confident and you have your trust in the God that loves you and you can overcome fear and chaos and confusion. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that, that seared in me when I was uh, probably six or seven, I don't remember exactly, uh, but really came back when I got older and I began to understand the love of God. I remember that we were in a department store and every single time we were gonna go to a department store, which wasn't often, by the way, but every single time we were, mom and dad, before we got out of the car, because we needed them to, would remind us, when we get in here, don't touch anything. And we need to be reminded often, all right? So they would tell us that before we got out of the car. Well, in we go, and I don't remember what was going on. Things seemed to be, you know, moving along pretty smooth. But mom and dad got in a little conversation. I think they were just trying to decide whether to purchase something or which one to purchase or whether they should just wait till next time or something. But, but I got distracted, and I turned around, and there was something on the counter. I don't even remember what it was, and you'll understand why in a moment. Something was on the counter, and I just kind of reached out to touch it, and before I ever got to it, I heard a very stern voice say, don't touch that. And it kind of just startled me. Like I got like, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, what? And before I had a chance to react any further, my dad stepped in front of me. And he was face to face with that salesman. He said, you have anything to say to that young man, you say it to me. And so here I am, you know, even though I was about to violate the rules... Dad steps in, you have anything to say to him, you say it to me. And I'm peering around, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. All of a sudden, I'm not afraid anymore, right? And the salesman, of course, says, you apologize. I'm so sorry, I didn't realize you guys were there. And yes, sir, I, that, that, wasn't, that, wasn't inappropriate. that was inappropriate for me to do. And he walked around the corner. And as soon as he did, I'm kind of chest out, like, all right, we showed him. And as soon as he did, Dad turned around and said, didn't I tell you not to touch things? And I straightened up again, yes, sir, yes, sir. And he said, okay, you stand right by me and you stay with me next door. Don't touch anything. Here's what I walked away with. And eventually it began to blossom into a life lesson that the word of God will validate. Listen to me, I don't care what's going on. My God loves me. Even when I'm doing a wrong thing, he will step in front of me and whatever's about to come at me and say, you wanna say anything to him? You say it to me first. And then he will turn around and say, okay, you and me need to talk. It's not that God's love just evaporates truth. It doesn't. It quarantines it and says, whatever happens in my life, now that I'm a child of God, that's family business. The enemy doesn't get to come and torment me. He doesn't get to come and accuse me. He doesn't get to come and judge me and start measuring out consequence. That's between me and my heavenly father. And my heavenly father is not an abusive father. Even if I'm a rebellious, not a fun kid to be around, he will step in front of me and said, talk to me first, and then he'll turn around. But he'll never stop feeding me. He'll never stop clothing me. He'll never stop protecting me. He won't kick me out of his house because I belong to him. Now, some of you need to understand that. And I don't just mean experientially. I don't mean just the way you feel, the warm and fuzzies you get. I mean, you have to be convinced and convicted of that. And let me tell you why. Because if you don't know that God's love is unmovable, that God's love is undying and it's not based on your behavior, then there's no way that you're going to begin to develop faith and confidence in God. You don't know if he loves you or not. You know that he can do it. 
You just don't know that he will do it for you because you don't know if he loves you that much. You don't know if you've disqualified yourself because he doesn't love you anymore because you didn't or you did and you don't know. If you don't get the love of God nailed down, you'll never understand how to live a life of faith. And if you don't understand how to live a life of faith, you won't understand anything about what Bible hope means. About how it frames in a picture of what you're expecting and what you're moving towards, not because your own talents and your opportunities are smart enough to get you there, but because God made a promise to you as your heavenly father, this is the future I have planned for you, and trust me, I'll get you there. You won't be able to frame that in. You'll lose sight of that every time there's a setback, every time something didn't work out, every time you're tired, every time you make a wrong step or a wrong decision, you'll lose sight of that. But when you know that God loves you and God is consistent, that even when you're faithless, God is faithful because he won't go back on his responsibility and his word to you. When you know that, that you know that, that you know that, it recalibrates you. And it puts a foundation underneath you that will help. And so we're going to study about God's love. And if you grab your workbooks, you'll open it up, and the theme scripture that we have in this first one is John 3, 16, and here's what it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen to me, that's the gospel in one verse. Everything else in the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, tells you how to live John 3, 16 out. But John 3.16, in four simple steps, tells you everything you need to know about God and your relationship. And here's what it is. That God so loved you that God gave away the most precious thing that he had. And listen, if you'll just believe that, if you'll believe that he loves you, if you'll believe that he sacrificed something to offer you something else, if you'll just believe that, then you can literally receive and experience eternal life. Not just when you get to heaven, but eternal life means a life flow starts to, starts, starts to move inside of you that no matter what's going on to push you down, it just keeps floating you back up. And that starts right here on earth and gets exponentially, unimaginably better when we get to heaven. But if you can understand those four things, God loves you so much that he gave the most precious thing he had so that he could offer you something. And if you'll just believe that, then you'll experience and you'll begin to receive and live in an everlasting life flow that he promised for you. That's the whole gospel. But it starts off in this first sentence. Listen to this. It says, for God so loved. That's important because he didn't just love you. You know, we use the word love loosely, right? I love my wife, uh, I love hot dogs, uh, I love sports, you know, I love, I love reading books or watching movies, or we just kind of use this all-inclusive love, but the Bible says God didn't just love you, he so, so, so loved you. And it's this deep, intimate love. Uh, we have a few occasions in life where we might experience that. Here's two of the most popular, the most common ones, the love you have for somebody that you would like to or maybe even stepped into spending the rest of your life with. Now, I'm not saying if that person's sitting next to you, I'm not saying that's still happening now because relationships are hard and things happen and, and, and you, at times you long for the days, I wish we still felt like we did when we were first dating and we were first married. That's an idealistic love and there's a reason why you're craving that. But that kind of experiential love that, and in that moment, I will give everything I have away to share my life with this individual, with no questions asked, excited to do it. That's the kind of love that, what, that God means when he says, so love. Here's another one. 
for those of you that are parents, you can't explain this, but the love that you have for that little one when they're first brought into your life and the first time you hold them. Every young little baby, you know, every little infant is precious. Every, oh, look how cute he is. He looks just like his mom or just like his dad or most of the time like his grandpa, right? No hair and all wrinkles and, yeah. <laughs> but listen to me, but there's something different when you hold your baby. It's not just look how cute. Something down inside tells you, I would give my life for this child right now. Even though up to this point, this little baby has caused me nothing but misery. Especially for you moms, right? That was not an easy thing to carry it for nine months. And I'm going to give a little bit of credit to the dads who found their way to navigate all that while mom's changing in multiple directions and the budget's shifting and the house is being rearranged and, and baby stuff is filling up every inch and every space everywhere. At this point, that baby hasn't done anything but cost you, has brought no joy into your life other than the anticipation it's going to get better. But in that moment, something shifts in your heart and you would give your life away for that little baby. Listen to me. That's how God feels about you. Some of you can't imagine that. Maybe you did at one point, if you first accepted the Lord and you thought it's going to be a brand new day and and I'm clean and it's me and you, Jesus, and you felt like that until you started messing up regularly and somewhere that's gone to the back. But the Bible's trying to get you to understand beyond your feeling and your emotion, God said, and God is clear, he doesn't just love you, he so, so, so loves you. In fact, let's just expand that because the verse tells us who did God love and for those of us that have been in the church for a while, the answer might be shocking because we think God loves those people that love God. And that's our measurement, right? God, just help me to love you more. God, just help me love you more. Not a bad prayer, by the way. I'm not meaning to, to, to make fun of it, but listen to me. We got the equation backwards. The more you understand how much God loves you, the response to God is, I love you too. If you think you're going to lead the way, you're already on the wrong track. Listen to me. God, you don't go first. God already went first. You get to say, I love you too, and that pattern repeats itself for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life. And so if you think somehow that God so loves the Christians, well, that's true, but you're missing the equation. In fact, that's what John three sixteen says, God so loved the whole world. And it's the Greek word cosmos, different word for the one that talks about the ball of dirt that we live in. God likes that, that ball of dirt, by the way. He created it. Genesis chapter one says he looked at his creation and said, that's really good. That's really, really good. He's fond of it. He likes that. But he so loves the people that live on it. Every single one of them, from the past all the way to the present, some of them you can think of and they bring a smile to your face. Man, weren't they good? Didn't they contribute to humanity? Didn't they help the world? And then you can think of just as many on the other list, which is hard to imagine that when those people were on the earth, the Bible says God so, so loved them. In fact, we find out when we understand the heart of the Father, his heart, his plan, his heart was never to condemn anybody. There will come a point in history when all this is over and we stand before God who, if I can say it this way, has a job. And his job is to be the king, but also the great judge, the righteous, flawless, perfect judge of all the earth. And listen, God is going to send millions, let me rephrase, billions of people into outer darkness, never to be in contact with him again. But you listen to me, it's going to break his heart to do it because that was never part of his plan. God so, so, so loves these people. 
that he gave the most precious thing that he had. And you and I are included in on that. And we have to begin to realize that. I have a funny story. Uh, all growing up, my dad, would, I don't remember when it started, but I just remember it was a constant. Uh, my dad would pull one of us over. Like he might say, Gil, come here, come here, come here for a second. And I'd walk over close to him. Sometimes other people were in the room, maybe my brothers, you know, and sometimes we were all lonely. Come here, come here a second. I say, yeah. And he'd say, don't tell your brothers, but I love you the best. <laughs> Which made sense to me, by the way, because I knew my brothers. I'm like, well, of course you don't love me the best. That makes sense, right? The funny thing is, is we kind of all, you know, caught on and we all knew that dad was telling each one of us that. And so we got to his memorial service and, you know, both my other two brothers are pastors. And so we shared the responsibility, the privilege of, uh, of bringing the eulogy uh, for his, uh, his memorial service. And so since I was the oldest, I went first and I said, you know, just in a spirit of honesty and vulnerability, uh, I have to just say this so that, you know, we can all understand my, my dad. Uh, he was very clear and consistent to me that out of me and my brothers, he loved me the best. Of course, everybody giggled, you know, and, and my brother smiled. Well, my middle brother gets up there next and says, you know, I appreciate Gil sharing that, and I'm so glad that that blessed him because dad knew that he was so insecure that he needed to think he was the best. <laughs> but really, I was the best. And then my younger brother just kind of took it a step further. And, but but here, here's what I want you to understand. In, in a very real way, no humor involved, right? No trickery, and, but in a very real way, I want you to understand the Bible's really clear. God loves you best. I know that doesn't make sense to you, right? But if you're a parent, you kind of get a little closer, you kind of have a vague, you know, understanding of that because if you're a parent and you have more than one child, you love each, each child best in a very unique, in a very different way. Of course, you love them all the same, but not because they each have certain things and certain qualities and certain unique uh, components that has, has connected to your heart and you love each one of them best. I want you to know this is what the Bible is going to tell us. In fact, if you're following in your workbook, the first truth we're going to look at today is truth number one, you are so loved by God. Not just love, so loved. And that word love is, if you've been around the church, you know, you've probably heard it here and there, saw it on a t-shirt or a hat or something. It comes from the Greek word agape, uh, the root word agape. But what's interesting is agape was, was a word long before the New Testament came, but it was a word that lived in obscurity. The cultures were so selfish and self-centered at that point that they never used this word until the New Testament church came. And the New Testament church literally grabbed this word and brought it to life so that people could see and understand exactly what this word agape means because agape is an ideal love. It's an altruistic love. It's a love by choice that is extended at the risk of the person that you're extending it to not returning it, at least not in the same measurement. It's a love that says, it doesn't matter what I, you know, what I think about you right now, there's something deeper that compels me to do anything it takes, to go any length that I can, to even put myself at risk in multiple areas, to demonstrate to you, I am with you, I'm in your corner, I love you, I want the best for you, and I really don't require anything in return. In fact, the crazy thing about agape love, you can agape love somebody and not even like them. And all of the parents of adolescents said, amen. Because <laughs> we've all lived there, right? In fact, we've been there ourselves. There's times we don't even like ourselves. 
And yet I want you to understand that doesn't distract God. God may talk to you sometimes about, hey, I, I really need to talk to you about how you're acting right now. I really need to talk to you about your attitude. I need to talk to you about, you know, about, you know um, I need to talk to you about your perspective, the principles you're living by. I know you've been beat up. I know you had some wrong done to you. I want to fix that for you, but we got to talk. He doesn't like the way you're behaving, but it doesn't cause his love to flinch at all. God loves you passionately and dyingly. And the Bible says that God just doesn't love you. He so, so loves you. You know, there's, there's these scriptures tucked in and we'll, we'll pull them in here and there. Some of them are supporting scriptures listed in your workbook that we won't get to this morning. But there's a few of them that always just really grab my heart. One of them in the New Testament says, if he's already giving us Jesus, and go back to John 3, 16, God so loved us that he gave us his most precious thing. He gave us his only son. Put him at risk. You know, if you study the Bible, Jesus came and, and, and laid everything down from his past eternity life as the son of God, laid it all down and came born as a human being, by the way, never to return to his past identity again. Jesus now is a resurrected human being that's fully son of God, but lived fully as a human. That's who's going to be on the throne when we get there. And the Bible's really clear about that. So he literally gave up his identity in that relationship. But here's the thing. He gave it up at risk. The Bible says Jesus went through every temptation we did. He just didn't fail any of them. So that when, it, when the timing was right, he literally was the sinless sacrifice that would pay for the rest of the world. But did you know that was a risk? Because if Jesus would have slipped up one time, there would have been no way back to God and no way for the rest of us to get back to God. It, it just demonstrates the risk, the length that God the Father was willing to go because he so, so loved you, so loved you. And there's scriptures that, again, that says if, he, if he's already given us Jesus, why wouldn't he give us everything else he promised? I mean, that just makes no sense. If he's given the thing that had the greatest risk and, and would just be heartbreaking if it, didn't, if it didn't come through, if he's already given us Jesus, then what about all these other little things that are trinkets by comparison? Big deals to us, right? Resources and opportunities and health and, and vitality and all these things that we need to keep life moving forward. But by comparison to the son Jesus, they're trinkets. And it says, if he's already given you Jesus, why, why wouldn't he do that? And yet we doubt that he would because we don't know if he loves us that much. There's a passage in Isaiah that I, I mean, in, in Zephaniah uh, chapter four that I used to read, you know, study in Bible college. And it's like, yeah, that's really cool. Until I had kids, I didn't get it. But it literally says that the Lord holds us and he sings over us and he dances in the middle of the night. And I used to read that and think, what does that even mean? Until I had kids. And as a young dad, I'd be up in the middle of the night often trying to give my wife a chance to rest. And here I am with this little baby, sometimes crying, sometimes just trying to get him settled. And I'm singing to them, Jesus loves you, this I know. Sometimes tears streaming down my face. And I got a picture. Do you know that God's doing this to me often? That God's swooping me up and holding me because God so loves me. He doesn't just tolerate me. He's not just keeping a promise because, you know, he made a, made a deal. I got to keep the covenant. He's not doing that. God so, so loves me. In fact, listen, the Bible tells us to understand this so much so that, listen to Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's praying. And I don't mean he's just, you know, kind of including it in the prayer over lunch. 
Paul's literally on his knees, tears streaming down his face, and he's interceding and crying out for the church at Ephesus. And here's what he's telling them, I'm praying for you. In Ephesians chapter three, verse 17, he says, I'm praying that Christ would dwell in your heart through faith. And the word dwell there is the opposite of just showing up once in a while. It means that, that Christ would permanently make his home in your heart, that you would walk around realizing that you've got a roommate for life now. And everywhere you go, he's with you, not watching you, not inspecting you, not judging you, but he's sharing, he's doing life with you. What can I do to help? Hey, you know what I was thinking about you today? This is Christ talking to us. But we don't get that, right? Because we don't understand the loving relationship, the intimacy. Paul's praying, interceding, God, please help them to understand this. Notice he goes on and says that you being rooted and grounded in love, other translations saying that you would have the foundation of your life and security based solidly on God's love. You say, why is that true? Because once you've got God's love rooted and once you've got love's foundation in a concrete, you know, grounding there, then it says, verse 18, it says, then you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and the depth and the height. And the word comprehend there means that you can wrap your head around and you can literally grab this truth and pull it in and say, okay, then I'm going to begin to establish this so that I never question it again. I'm not going to ask myself, do you think God loves me? That's a silly question. That's like asking me, you know, do you think I was born into Gill and Virginia's family? That's a silly question. That's established. There's a birth certificate. People were actually there to witness it. There's pictures of my dad coming out, you know, holding me and each of my kids. For me to go back and question that, that's just silly. That's just silly. But when I know something, when I comprehend it, katalabando, it means I grab it, I pull it in, and I say, I will never let this truth go. I'll never question it again. It's beyond argument now. Once I grab that truth and receive it, then it settles so many things for me, and now I'm not vulnerable. If I do feel like, I don't know if God loves me, I can quickly say, well, that's just dumb. Of course he does. He said he did, and he demonstrated it over and over again. But notice this. He said, I'm praying that you'd be grounded and rooted so that you can grab and comprehend this with all the other saints. What are we supposed to comprehend? The width, the length, the depth, and the height. That means when you begin to think about who God is and, and how he feels about you, it means that you'll be able to think wider. That you won't say, yeah, well, he, not that much. He can't love me that much. Listen to me. Go as wide as you can. You'll never go wide enough. But not only that, he says that you'll be able to understand the length. It means you'll last longer. You won't go in two steps into something and say, ah, I don't know, you know, I thought God was going to help me, but it doesn't look like it's going to work out. No, no, you'll encourage yourself and you'll go the distance. Not only that, but it goes on and says not just the height and the length, but it says you'll, you'll understand something about the depth, the trust, and the confidence it runs deep, 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 not just these shallow waters that, you know, kind of gets bumpy, but you got the deep, deep, still waters that are happening underneath. And not only that, he says the height, when you understand uh, something about uh, the, the, the width and you can go longer and you got a depth, then the Bible says you'll reach higher. Stop putting a limit on your dreams. Stop saying, you know, when I was young, I thought maybe this, but now it's like, yeah, right, wake up to reality. Well, why not with God? You're more than conquerors. If God is for you, who can be against you? Are you kidding me? This, he specializes when things start getting impossible. He's like, yeah, pick me. Pick me, because this is what I do. 
But you won't even understand that if you don't understand that his love is wider than you think and it goes longer than you think and it's deeper than you think and it'll take you higher than you think. If you, don't, if you, don't, if you haven't even thought about that, you won't be able to really understand this and it goes on and says, in order for you to know, and it means to know by experience, to have a relationship with, to be growing more confident through, through doing life together and it just proves to you over and over and over again that God's telling the truth so that you can know the love of Christ. Notice this, this is the crazy thing which passes knowledge. So here he's been praying, saying, I'm praying that you'll grab this truth and you'll get it on the inside and you'll get it planted and understand it's wider and longer and deeper and higher than you possibly could imagine. But I hope you can get this so you can begin to know it. And by the way, as you're knowing it, it's not knowable. What? You want me to know something that can't be known? Well, he says, I want you to grow in this, but I want you to understand you'll never totally know this. His love is too big. You'll never totally understand this. In fact, one of the cool things you can go looking for in Ephesians chapter one, it tells us that the love of God is so demonstrative and it's so big and so immense that the Bible says when we get to heaven, that God is going to spend all of eternity. I'm just let you, let's just settle in your mind for a minute, okay? Not the first hundred years, not the first 10,000 years, not the first million years, all of eternity. He's going to spend all of eternity opening up the riches of his grace to his children. I, I interpret that as saying in heaven, no reruns. We're there for a hundred years or so trying to get our head wrapped around it because it is beyond our ability to understand. And just about the time that we're getting there, you know, God says, hey, you like that, don't you? I do, man. I, I just can't believe it's so awesome. I love this. You like that? Watch this. And he opens up something different and he'll be doing that for all of eternity because we can never understand how much this God loves us. But he's gonna spend all of eternity demonstrating it over and over and over and over and over. This is not fiction. The Bible tells us this and just repeats it constantly over and over and over and over again. All right, so the, the first truth is that God so, so, so loved us. Let's move to the next truth. And the reason that God loves us is because we are his masterpiece. We're his masterpiece. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says this, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. Go back to the word workmanship. The word workmanship in the Greek is the word poema. And I bet you can hear an English word that we almost just transliterate and use it. It's the word poem. But it's not just a written, you know, kind of a written, uh, uh, a written um, uh, masterpiece here, but it also is talking about sculpting, it's talking about painting, anything that has this exquisite, this elegant, artistic, creative design, that's what this word masterpiece means. And it implies that the one who created it put him, his whole self into it. And by the way, this verifies itself in Genesis. When you go back to the book of Genesis, uh, if you're a Christ follower and you believe in Genesis, uh, that, that God's the one who created man in his own image, then you'll see in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 that the Bible says that God created man. And the word created there is the Hebrew word bara, and it literally shows an intimate relationship with the creator who's creating. In fact, it paints a picture of God on his knees up to his elbows in the mud as he's sculpting man's form and man's body. This was not something he did, you know, from his throne high up and said, man, appear. 
He, he, he walked over there, he got down, and he began to shape and massage and carve and, and move and manipulate until he had what, what the form, the body of man, looking exactly like he wanted to. Then the Bible says that he leaned over and he put his lips on the man's lips that he just created and he, he breathed into man the breath of life and man came alive, came alive. In fact, and it's quite an intimate connection. It means, listen, he took his time. He was moving this. But if you think that one's great, when you get to Genesis 2.22, it didn't say that when God uh, brought the woman about, it didn't say he created the woman. It said he made her. That's a whole different word. That's the word bana, which means if you think that God took its time on Adam, he took extra time on the woman. I'm not saying this facetiously. That's why she's much more complex than we are, men. And if we're just being honest in a righteous way, a whole lot funner to look at. (laughs) But because God took extra time. I mean, he put stuff in her. First of all, he had to build a reproductive system that could house another human being and, and get the job done and allow that human being to come and then go back to normal. I mean, how does that even work? But God's so complex and he put himself in it. You talk about a masterpiece. You talk about exquisite. This is what God did and, and, and this is his connection. Listen to me. If you're a parent uh, because, and, and you, you remember what it's like, especially if you're a mom, and here comes this little new one that's finally birthed into the world and they're crying, you know, they've got their first breath and there's crying there and we're excited about that because we know life is here. Listen to me, there's an intim- immediate and an intimate connection with this little child that you helped to create. Everybody knows that. You don't have to be a parent to know that. You know it so much intrinsically that if someone births a child or someone's part of this and they don't feel that, everybody automatically is like, that's weird. What's wrong? And I'll tell you why. Because when you create something, you put all of yourself into it and there's not anybody or any creator that's created anything more intimate and connecting than God. And you say, well, that was just Adam. Are you kidding me? Listen to Psalm 139. David's talking about how every baby is formed in the mother's womb. He said, for you form my inward parts. You covered me with my, in, in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We don't have time to go into it, but those two words show this intrinsic, this beautiful, this exquisite, this unique artistry that went into every little baby that's wired together. He goes on, he says, marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Little pause real quick. Almost every translation says earth because the literal meaning is earth. But that's kind of weird. It's like, well, God has an underground workshop or something where he builds all the babies, and what does that even mean? But Hebrew scholars translate a little differently, and they get the idea that man's body came from the earth, and so they're, they're showing this as the secret place in, inside of earth, or the New Testament says jars of clay vessels, which means it's the mother's womb. And so just to be clear, God's not, you know, there's not an underground workshop somewhere where he makes the babies and then the stork delivers them or something. That's not, that's not true. So, but it goes on and he says, your eyes saw my substance yet being unformed. And in your book, they're all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet they were, there were none of them. In other words, God says, I didn't just put you together and say, okay, here we go, start life. God has this unique ability where as parents, we try to look ahead to our child's future. 
And maybe we start college funds or maybe we, you know, we, we start thinking about where they're going to go to go to school and, and every step of the way they're training and so on with what house we live in, what neighborhood. And we're trying to forecast all this stuff. God doesn't have to forecast. The Bible says that because God is omniscient, God is beyond time, that God literally walks to the end of our life. And then he walks backward and says, okay, on that day, on that day, yeah, okay, you know, I want him to go this way. And God plans and schedules every part of our life all the way to the end of our life when we'll step in to meet him before our life is ever built. In fact, he takes all of that plan and he comes and says, okay, so let's create this baby this way. God knows more about you than you think. And the funny thing is we think, well, I can't tell God that. He already knows. He's already been there. He knows what's going to happen. And as he was working backward, it's like you're playing a video game, right? You got these little energizers. You got these little opportunities to trust him, these little opportunities to obey him, these little tips to choose right, to, to, to put your faith in him, to spend some time with him. And they, they cause your spiritual energy to go whoop, whoop, and, 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 and the enemy to, to be de derailed here. And God will just walk you through not a comfortable, not a convenient, not just, you know, just a, a, a serene walk in the daisies all the time, but a victory victorious life, but a life that's fulfilling and accomplished. And this is the promise of God over and over and over again, because he loves you, because he loves you. And some of you might be thinking, well, yeah, but that's weaving a little baby together. You know, they're innocent, got their whole life in front of you. Pastor, I'm not a baby and I'm not innocent. Yeah, yeah. We all know that. We all got that t-shirt. You know, we all sign up for that, but that's exactly why God did something to prove it. And here's truth number three. God so loved us that he demonstrated his love through Jesus Christ. We already read John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes will receive eternal life. But we have to move on to John 3.17. Listen to what it says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. Do you know that Jesus didn't come into the world to suit everything that's bad. Jesus is not presented to people to accept him because if you don't, that just means you're a sinner and you stop, stop. God's not condemning anybody. Now I said it, maybe I said it first service, but I'll say it again this time. Uh, God has a job. Don't mean to be disrespectful, but he has a job and his job is the king and the judge of the earth. There will come a day that God will stand with every person individually and many of those people God will have to sentence to a life of, of isolation, but it's gonna break his heart. He doesn't wanna do that. And he sent Jesus to do everything he could to convince us to believe that he loves us and that he sent the answer so that we can live this intimate, wonderful relationship with him that starts here and now and moves all the way to heaven. So it says he didn't come to condemn the world, but he came so that everybody could be saved. Look at Romans chapter five, verse eight. It said, but God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. And, and there's a lot of people think, well, I just gotta get cleaned up so God will love me. You're missing the point. God loved you on your worst day and he's not gonna love you any more on your worst day than he is on your best day. He just loves you. He just loves you. And, and it says right here, the reason he did it so that we can understand how much he loves us. All right, so I'm gonna do a little illustration that may help some people. I'm not trying to trick you, so I need you to engage. The questions are simple. The answers are even simpler, but I need you to jump in, all right? Here we go. This is a $100 bill. I'm just going to ask the question, how much is this worth? Shout it out. 
Wow, this is a great, great group, all right? $100, right? Brand new, crisp, $100 worth $100, right? Ready? Now, how much is it worth? Oh, okay, watch this. Now, how much is it worth? Yeah, you're tracking. How about if I take it, hide it in this paper bag, crumble it up, throw it someplace in the corner. Now, how much is it worth? Exactly right. And you understand that. And yet, there are some of you that have felt like you've been crumbled up by life. You've been stepped on and smeared in the dirt. You've been shoved into isolation. And you've been thrown somewhere in the back that nobody even knows you're there. And you're wondering if God loves you. To God, your value to him is no less than it was when you were in pristine condition. God loves the world. And if if you're wondering about that, listen, check your own heart. Because I know there's a good majority of you right now that are thinking about how fast you can volunteer to help clean off the stage after church. (laughs) Because you know you know what this means, but God loves you. You cannot, you cannot get far enough. You can't make wrong enough decisions. If you could, then here's what you're saying. I'm a much better sinner than he is a savior. Not possible. Not possible. God loves, loves, loves you. I'm not saying that he always approves of your behavior, but that's part of love. We love our children so much that we just don't let them do whatever they want to do. Why? Because I love you too much to let you do that. But I love you nevertheless. And this is what God's trying to get across to us over and over and over again, that God loves, loves, loves us. And some of you say, yeah, okay, that's a great illustration. You've stacked a bunch of scriptures. I know that's what the Bible says. I won't argue with that. That's truth, 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 truth. But I'm still not convinced. I still don't know that God loves me. And would it surprise you to know that God anticipated some people would feel that way? He knew. I'm going to do everything I can. Some people are going to still say, yeah, but I don't know. I'm just not really sure, you know, if, if, if I'm feeling that or if I understand that. And so here's what God did. God said, well, then I'm going to send somebody who's going to work to convince you for the rest of your life. This is what Jesus was talking about in John 16. This is the last scripture passage we're going to look at. John 16, verse 8. It says, and when, the Holy, when he, that's the Holy Spirit, Jesus was telling them, has come, listen, he will convict the world, and he's going to list three things. There's three things that the Holy Spirit's going to convict people, and he's doing it nonstop, and he's doing it every day, and he'll never, ever stop, and he's in your life, whether you haven't accepted Jesus or you have accepted Jesus, he's going to be talking to you all the time. Three things he's going to talk to you about. Listen to what they are. He's going to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, we have to wrestle with the word convict because it has a bad connotation. It feels accusatory. It feels judgmental. And you feel like, well, yeah, you know, that means the jury's already come back and and I'm guilty, guilty, guilty. That's not what the word convict is is, is, uh, conveying here. It's really a legal term here. And it means to cross-examine a person, to stack up the evidence layer after layer after layer to keep contradicting what they feel is, is, is different but to just put the truth in front of them until finally they have no alternative but to surrender and to be convinced, okay, that's true. That's true. And this is what the Holy Spirit's job is for people that have not accepted Jesus. Notice verse, the next verse starts explaining that. John 16, 9 says, 
that he convicts them of sin, or some translations say he convicts them about sin because they don't believe in me. The Holy Spirit knows how serious this is. And people that are not serving Jesus, that haven't surrendered to Jesus, the Holy Spirit's not convicting them for doing bad things and having bad thoughts, and well, they don't have the life of God in them. You know what he's convicting them about? Hey, listen to me, you're not right, and you know you're not right. But Jesus came so that you could be right. Just got to believe that. Will you just accept him? You know, the Holy Spirit's such a gentleman. The Bible says that God leads people to, his, to repentance through his kindness. He's not hammering them on the head. He's not shaking them around. He's not shoving them in the corner. You will accept or not. God's not doing any of that. Remember, he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came in to offer them something that everybody already knows you're desperate for. You can't be the person you want to be until you're rescued. And the Holy Spirit's convicting you about that. You might be here this morning and it's that little tiny voice on the inside and kind of the little inward tug or maybe your eyes start filling up with tears or you get the lump in your throat and you know that it's God talking to you. Some of you may think, well, my own conscience or however you want to posture it, but the Bible's clear. That's the Holy Spirit convincing you yet another time, another time, another time, another time until one day he wants you to finally surrender and say, okay, fine, you're right. I need a rescuer. And then Jesus comes. But I want you to notice once Jesus comes, he doesn't stop convicting us. It goes on and says the Holy Spirit continues to speak. And it says next he us, convinces us of or about righteousness. And here's why. It's Jesus said, because I'm going to my Father and you won't see me anymore. In other words, Jesus knew that even when you accepted him, that there's going to be things that are happening in your Christian life and truths about the love of God and about the promises of God and the goodness and the faithfulness of God that you're not going to be inclined to believe. Jesus said, I would love to be right there and look you in the eyes and say, trust me. No, I'm telling the truth. No, I promise I'll do it. But he said, I'm going to the Father. So I, I'm going to send somebody else instead. And listen to me, that same voice, if you're a Christian, that same voice that kept after you and after you and after you until you finally accepted Jesus, that same Holy Spirit now just shifted topics. And now he keeps coming after you to convince you God loves you. God's not mad at you. Even when he's got to deal with something, Hebrews chapter 12 says, the only reason that a father deals with his children is because he loves them. And he'll do it with such tenderness. Psalm 103 says, the Lord is tender. He pities his children. He remembers that we, we have a frail makeup and we're susceptible to things. And God comes with us in, in tenderness. Uh, in Psalm, Psalm 32, it says, that, uh, 30, 32, 32, it says that, uh, that the anger of the Lord is just for a moment. But then his favor comes rushing in and it, it's for your life, the lifetime. God may get frustrated with you, but he didn't stop loving you. And this is what the Holy Spirit's convincing you about. Will you stop resisting him? We stop arguing with him. Well, I don't deserve it yet. We, we knew that already, right? But Jesus came because you didn't deserve it. And so our, stop arguing with him. And here's the last one. It says that, and then he comes in verse number 11 to talk to us or convince us of or about judgment. And let me tell you why that's important because some of you think that God's angry and is judging you. That's not true. Did you know that all of the judgment was placed on Jesus? Your sins are already forgiven past present. Here's the great news. Your sins have already been paid for in the future. When you commit them and we'll all stumble, when you mess up, all you have to do is ask. And Jesus said, yep, I already covered that. 
He doesn't come back and die all over again because, oops, I forgot one. I'll, I'll, get, I'll catch that one for you. He already died for the sins, past, present, and future. And the Holy Spirit's here to convince you, stop letting condemnation beat you up. You're not the one under judgment. Jesus suffered that for you. You get to live under his grace. But notice it says, it says that he's going to convince you about judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Did you know that we live in a world and our enemy, Satan, is still running around causing havoc? But I want you to know the Bible says his days are measured because Jesus defeated him at the cross. He is already a defeated enemy. This is what we mean when we say around here, we don't fight for victory. Christ already won that for us. We fight from victory to now put ourselves in a position where we can experience what Christ already has. And we can do that with boldness, even though the enemy's telling us, well, you're not good enough and you didn't do this and you didn't do that. I know that. That's why I needed a savior. But now that I have a savior, God loves me and God's favor is disposed towards me. And I can run to him and he will do what he promised he would do. Did you know the Holy Spirit's talking, talking to you all the time? He's talking to a lot of you right now. Stop fighting him. Stop arguing with him. Stop discounting yourself because you've made this mistake or made that mistake. Would you just open up your heart? We just run to the Lord. Last thing I'll say, and we're going to close in prayer. When my kids were little, uh, I think I just picked this up from my parents or something. It was at least in Debbie and I's era of parenting. It was pretty common. But I would tell my kids, I love you. You know how much I love you? I love you this much. And my kids would look at me and say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. We love you this much. And honestly, I could have made a great argument because my arms are bigger. Obviously, my love is more than theirs, but that wasn't the point. The point was that we both were extending our love. Now, listen to me. I don't mean to be cheesy about an illustration, but this is Bible truth. Did you know that God demonstrated how much he loved you when Jesus stretched out his arms? And I said, I love you this much. And he gave his life for you because God could not bear the thought of going into eternity and you're not there. I don't mean the, the masses that are not there. I mean you, because God loves you best. He just couldn't bear the thought. How, how can eternity be what it's supposed to be if they're not there? And so Jesus stretched out his arms and said, God, I love them this much. Now listen to me. When you begin to really understand that, then your natural response is, God, I love you this much. And you stretch your arms up in complete surrender to him. On your worst day, you run to him. Dad, pick me up. Come and hold me. Clean me up. I messed up again. This is the love of God. And I'm telling you, when you begin to lock this on the inside, it calibrates you back in the worst chaotic moments. And when you can do that, then faith begins to rise. And hope begins to crystallize again. And I don't care what's going on around you. You can live in the victory that God intended because you know that you know that you know that you are loved by God. Hope you've been blessed by God's word this morning. Stand to your feet. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer with you. Then Pastor Spencer is going to lead us in a song of response. As you're singing these words and declaring some things to the Lord, let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Make some decisions uh, with him. Uh, and then for those of you that afterwards, the prayer and altar team will come back up. Don't leave if there's an opportunity for you to be ministered to. God wants to meet you here today. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you've come to lead us in the truth, to work on us every day, every minute of every day, to convince us that God's for us, he's not against us, that he loves us, that he has a big plan. 
And I'm asking you to convince every single person in this place to take another step inside, to stop resisting, to stop arguing, to stop ducking and bobbing and weaving, weaving and evading. But Lord, finally, just to surrender to you and say, okay, then I receive what you have for me. I pray that you'll draw everyone closer. For those that haven't accepted you, they'll do that today. For those that have accepted you, they'll, they'll take another step into trusting you. Only you can do it, but we're trusting and asking you to do it like you, like you promised in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.